So, this past weekend, Steam held their huge summer sale. Uh, I picked up Rise of Nations, among a few other things, and I did this for mostly two reasons. Number one, I remember playing it ten years ago at a friend's house, and I really liked it. And number B, I want to tell that Microsoft that it's okay to for them to release their games on Steam. I mean, what are they going to do? Release an Android phone? Don't be uh, ridiculous. They did that, actually. So this is Control Structure, episode 64 for July 2nd, 2014, because apparently this is take two, and the crappy, uh, turns out crappy recorder that I use to do this uh, accidentally butchered the show uh, last night. Uh, but uh, hey, big week to everyone listening. Uh, before we get too far into this, uh, this show does have show notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash CS64 to see them. Uh, I am your host, Andrew Bailey, and this is uh, my guest, Ryan Ram- Sad from the Gadget Hello. Show. I'm back again. So, um, you wouldn't happen to know anything about that Android phone, would you? I hear it's something from Nokia. Yes, actually, I do know something about that Android phone. It's, uh, it's, uh, I think it's called the Nokia X, and they just actually relaun- uh, relaunched the the lineup uh, as a Nokia X2. So, but you're going to be talking, but you're going to be talking about it on your show, right? No, I will never talk about the Nokia X if I don't have to. It's not, it's not real. It's fake. <laughs> that like that Nokia that you got. That is, that is actually more real than these Nokia X phones. It I has. Have, uh, I've heard that they actually have good cameras on them. Well, the Nokia High End does the the regular. Well, okay, the, the developing market phones, which is what the Nokia X phones. Those don't have really anything in them. So, uh, hey, speaking of last time that you were on, we joked a little bit about Orca. That was a long time ago. So, yeah, uh, back in February, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because it's a Google service that's not in beta, it's being shut down, just as I predicted. Well, you know, that tends to happen. Now, I, I heard it was popular in like places like India and Brazil. So is, is interest waning there? Apparently it is. Uh, huh. Facebook is apparently eating their lunch, too. Darn. So. So Google's like, hey, we have this other social network that we sort of forced on people, so let's try to use that instead. But we're not going to talk about it at all. You know, that's really interesting. I I remember when I signed up for the Orkut account back in the day. Ah, back when uh, MySpace was a thing? Yeah. I never got into MySpace, but I thought it would be so cool to have Google's first social networking account. (laughs) And I got an invite from some guy on some blog in a contest. So, uh... For our zero listeners using Orcut, because I understand you don't actually use that. Nope. Uh, you might want to steal your data from Orcut and uh, using Google Takeout. In fact, even if you don't use Orcut, use Google Takeout to steal everything that you have from Google. Right, like right now. International Backup Awareness Day. Yes, do that. And now, and it actually turns out a few weeks ago, I exported all my location data. Yeah. So uh, how how what'd you do with it? Well, so it, it's in some weird location like timeline format. It's all XML or something. It's cool, but I don't know what to do with it, and I don't know any services that can parse it or anything. But what I did do to save it is I uploaded it to Gmail. <sighs> uh, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Do you don't think that's good enough, huh? Darn. I guess I can upload it to my Outlook mail. Uh, you might upload it to your Box account. Oh, that horrible thing? Yes, that horrible thing. Mm, I don't even know where that touchpad is. 
So, um, let's see, it was back a little ways, uh, the Apple blog, uh, that is our Stetnica, mm-hmm. uh, went over a few other things that Google might kill, and one of them was Quick Office. And apparently they're killing that, too, so, um, this is apparently some sort of office suite for, uh, phones. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like it was a third-party app, and then Google bought out the company that made it and bought out the app, of course. And it was kind of their makeshift solution to handle Office Docs, you know, Microsoft Office right. on Android. And so since all that functionality just at I.O. was rolled into the um, regular Google Docs apps, they don't need Click Office anymore. So it's time for it to go. Yes. So apparently my mom's calling. Uh, you can just go oh, ahead and... I thought that was the mixer. I was so <laughs> terrified. <laughs> so apparently uh, with the merger of Quick Office, you can apparently edit, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, DocX files yes. in Google Docs. But I'm not... Natively. Sh- uh, I'm not sure if they've rolled that out or not, but it doesn't look like I can edit a DocX I have so, in there. So uh, apparently what you have to do is you have to download the Chrome extension. Ah. Uh, and so it's native-ish, I guess. Um, but it, even if that's what you need to do, it's still pretty good. Native-ish on their own proprietary ecosystem. Yes, like I mentioned, native-ish. What else is sort of native-ish to the uh, Chrome ecosystem? Um, hmm, no. Uh, Opera. No, that's not what would have come to mind. Well, do you know how Squirrel liked to use Opera on Linux? And then promote that it was the best browser ever? Yes, I remember all those early uh, ATN episodes. Opera will not fail me! Oh, it crashed. (laughs) I really need to listen to some of those again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, apparently he can uh, go ahead and run it on Linux again, because there is a just-released beta of Opera 24 for Linux. So this is uh, quite a massive upgrade from Opera 12 or 13 that's already released on Linux. That's the old Presto-based engine. Uh, but now they can upgrade with everyone else to the Chromium-based uh, Opera. So, yeah. Sounds good to me. Now, so does the Chromium version also come with the, the, the JavaScript engine? I uh, believe it comes with the V8 or whatever Google is using. That sounds good. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. So, yeah, he can, you know, Squirrel can complain once again about it failing him on Linux. But it probably won't fail him now, because the biggest problem with Opera previously with Presto was that it wouldn't even load Gmail. With Chrome, it should load Gmail just fine. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Opera is a nice browser to have around, because I never use it, and I use it specifically because I don't use it for anything else, in situations where I need to use another browser. So I use Opera for two things. I use it to... Uh, check um, unloaded DNS queries because you know no other browser. I mean, I don't. I use all the other things I have, and also for torrents on Windows. So yeah, exactly. You know, use it when you need another browser that you don't don't use. So yes, isn't that funny? Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you know how MP3 works? 
Um, I'm pretty sure it's a lossy format. Yes, it is a lossy format. So, so it means it, you know it it encodes data by throwing some data out. That that's how it works. Yes, uh, yeah. data that you don't particularly hear. Uh, so that what makes the file size a little bit smaller. But just how much is lost? So a lot, here, it turns out. Yeah. So uh, uh, apparently, someone went through and uh, got some audio examples of what exactly is lost. And uh, this uh, goes over some song that I haven't really heard of before. But then again, I don't watch TV, so I wouldn't know. It turns out. So uh, you know, goes over the you know the obvious you know the various encoding rates and how much they take away. Now it turns out, and I, this is kind of a surprise to me, that even if you just encode static noise, uh, different levels of compression will totally make that static noise sound terrible. Yes. Who knew? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it looks like this is just a simple difference between the original and the uh, compressed form. Right, yeah, he took a, uh, a compression difference, I guess, and that's pretty interesting what you can get the results from that. Yes. So, yeah, have fun with that. That's the ghost in the MP3. Which is a very clever name. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to try it on, like, one of these podcasts, maybe. Yeah. Hey, you might be able to try it on this one. Yeah, you think so? Maybe. Okay, cool. So, um, so companies are apparently getting DOSed left and right. Are you sure that's not DDoSed? Uh, I kind of hate saying that extra D because it's redundant, and it kind of has to be distributed to work. Okay, fine, be that way. So, just how many are there, and how does it happen? So, you know, it basically targets, like, mid, sort of mid-sized startups. Right. Um, mostly, like, Vimeo, uh, Meetup, Basecamp, Bitly, MailChimp. Yeah, Feedly and Moz, um, they, uh, you know, have, you know, succumbed to these DOS attacks. What usually happens is they get a, you know, a demand for like two or three hundred dollars saying, hey, you're going to get DOS, uh, pay us and it won't happen. Mm-hmm. Of course, they don't pay and it happens and then suddenly the cost is suddenly goes up to like two thousand dollars. Um, when apparently, you know, they could, they might be able to, you know, extort quite a bit more from companies, but, you know, they're probably in, based in some poor country, uh, where 200 is a lot of, 200 bucks is a lot of money. Uh, and the, you know, no one really knows who's doing this, and apparently, you know, the FBI and stuff are on this. So, yeah, on the bright side, Cloudflare is doing pretty well since, uh, like they run a sort of, uh, uh, was it a CDN? Yep. Uh, you know, content distribution network that uh, helps websites, uh, you know, bear the load. So instead of connecting directly to like the company's web server, you're actually talking to Cloudflare for everything instead. Mm-hmm. And literally everything. You don't you when you when you go to a Cloudflare backed service, you don't necessarily notice until you start poking around, and then it actually goes down, and then you see the Cloudflare intermediate page. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting, like, so maybe those $200, you know, entry level, you know, extortion fees. See, I I, I think it's something a little bit different than just being in a poor country. I think that it's so low that they have a really high likelihood of getting some money out of you because $200 is, you know, really cheap for a cloud company to just like, okay, I don't want to deal with this here. Just have 200 bucks. We don't care anymore. Go away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (sighs) So, um... So getting back on track here. So, hey, speaking about vulnerabilities, you remember OpenSSL and Heartbleed? 
I do actually. That was uh, a while ago, but it's you know still still around. So uh, then apparently, like a whole bunch of companies got together. I think they were led by the Linux Foundation, mm-hmm. and they decided to do something about this. Uh, like they threw together a fund uh, that you know would actually specifically benefit uh, really needy open source projects. Uh, and the first one that came to mind was of course OpenSSL. And yep. it looks like they've uh, published a project plan to tackle the problems that they have. Uh, there's apparently a bug backlog that they have that's really big. Uh, they have documentation problems, but then again, who doesn't? Uh, library complexity, because apparently they you know, supposedly have code in there to support operating systems and other ecosystems that uh, aren't really likely to be used nowadays. Uh, the coding style is a mess, apparently. Uh, they don't have really much of a code review. They have no release plan, nor do they have a platform strategy. Hmm. So they don't really have a goal to work towards. So uh, they want to rectify all these and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, make sure that something like Heartbleed never happens again. Right. You know, so it's a shame that Heartbleed happened in the first place, but look at how great this roadmap of, you know, planning is and what they want to do and what they've addressed and they know they need to do. So, uh, you know, I guess this, you know, brings to awareness to several open source projects that uh, are in dire need of help, but, you know, everyone uses them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, I think I uh, heard you explaining that uh, Google put in a ton of money for uh, indeed, this kind of thing. Indeed that they did. Yeah. Uh, what else is Google doing? Well, so Google not only wanted to help out OpenSSL, but they also decided to take some of the power of OpenSSL into their own hands, and they made... They um, basically said, fork you, OpenSSL. Yeah, and they turned it into Boring SSL, which is <laughs> just a lovely name. And so one of the uh, poignant features of Boring SSL is that instead of maintaining backwards compatibility and compatibility with the API... Compatibility. Uh, compatibility? Uh, <laughs> boring SSL will break the API whenever it wants because apparently, because Google just can do it, uh, all of the projects that need to use OpenSSL, like APIs, can just re-implement the boring SSL ones instead. So that seems like a well, fairly okay thing to do. Well, it's a very googly thing to do. Yes, so they can customize it to their own needs. Mm-hmm. So uh, that seems pretty good. Yep. So, uh, hey, uh, Ars Technica, uh, Lee Hutchinson, a uh, reporter from there, uh, took a walk around HP's testing labs. Uh, countless computers are harmed during the creation of their products, apparently. Uh, so, uh, apparently, they this is housed in the former Compaq headquarters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, uh, you, know, you know, do the obvious, you know, the drop testing, you know, how much stress can, you know, a product, uh, you know, withstand, how high you can stack the boxes, and they even do sound tests with... In an know, amazing room, with my With the dad. spiky walls. Oh, look at all those Microsofts sitting in that room. Yeah, they, they gotta be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, they, they, they do uh, heat tests. Uh, apparently, they have this one chamber there that, you know, just cycles from zero to 100 Celsius, like, all the time and waits for things to fail. And you saw that big, like, specialized motherboard-like thing that yeah. would hold all those chips for testing? Yeah, and... It's really cool. I'm not sure what it's used for because there's absolutely no components on those boards. No. Like, the like what looks like RAM 
doesn't actually have chips on it. Yeah, I don't really know what that is, but it, I don't care. It looks, looks amazing. So, and then, you know, of course, the uh, strain gauges. Those look kind of mm-hmm. cool. And the uh, the robot with the fake fingers to, you know, test the uh, trackpads. Which is funny, because that's not how I would test a trackpad. So, and then they apparently shock the machines a little bit and make sure... Yes, with this specialized gun. Yes. Yeah. So, and, you know, try to make them, you know, quirk out or shut down or well, something. Well, they, they call it glitch. Yes, glitch. Mm-hmm. So, and, like, all throughout, you know, HP also makes a variety of other electronic equipment. So, uh, that's, uh, you know, since, you know, HP products are testing HP products. Who knew? Well, I mean, I feel like that makes sense. You know, yeah. specialized things would need to be made, I guess. So, yeah, it, it's sort of, you know, interesting to go in, you know, and, you know, like, these these employees are paid to break things that the company makes. It's pretty weird. You know, yeah, I'm sure a lot of normal consumers would never appreciate the amount of science and testing and rigor that these things go through. But it's funny that there's just so much garbage that HP makes. Yes. So, you know, while HP is, you know, working on memristors and trying to destroy them. That was uh, last week's episode. Yes. Or la- two weeks ago's episode. Last time. Yeah. Uh, but not yesterday. Right. Uh, anyway, so IBM is instead betting on carbon nanotubes. Uh, you know, like those really strong uh, Tiny strands. structures. Yeah, yes. of carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently nanotubes might actually hit the market sooner. Uh, since uh, IBM already has a plan to release a five nanometer uh, process node using nanotubes in 2019. That's incredible. So that is apparently pretty much on schedule with, I believe, what Intel is trying to do. I don't believe Intel will maintain that schedule at all. Um, well, unlike AMD, <laughs> or excuse well, they, me, Global Foundries. I mean, AMD didn't even, they didn't even try, like, oh, we're going to have something great by now, maybe someday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's apparently a lot of trouble uh, coming in that, uh, you know, actual transistors on CPUs won't be able to scale down uh, easily uh, down past like five nanometers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I imagine in 2035, uh, we will be, you know, using our sub nanometer silicon process and lolling our way to the uh, technological singularity. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, watch out for that. Some, you know, when when we get our plant size transistor. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday. Yeah, but, that's that's pretty impressive. But until then, we will have to rely on conventional memory and classical physics. So Samsung is building a three uh, building solid state drives with 3D flash memory inside. So look for the 850 Pro later this month. And 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 tech sort of has a review and an explanation of what's going on here. So I love uh, how you say and and yes, that's, you know, that's how I say it. You know, that's That's so funny. That's how it's spelled, man. I know. I know. But it's so excuse excuse me while I go deliver the mail on Hamlin Avenue. No, it's Hamlind, according to some people. (laughs) Gosh. So um, (laughs) anyways. Yes. uh, So speaking about silicon process nodes uh, for flash memory, there is a difficulty going below 20 nanometers. Mm -hmm. But with this... Because what what happens there? Like some kind of failure rate increases? Yeah. Apparently, it's like more difficult to, you know, program the like the individual cell that holds the bits. 
mm-hmm. and it's like more difficult to uh, read them, and apparently they don't last as long. Yeah. So if you go to a, a bigger process node, uh, you sort of like those problems sort of go away. Mm-hmm. But then that decreases the density of the chip. Right. But it doesn't really matter if you stack them like 32 high with what Samsung is going to be doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be they're also going to be manufacturing it on a 40 nanometer note node 40 really instead of like a 20 or sub 20 or whatever yeah i think the 24 and 22 are what people use right now uh and that's pretty impressive 40 because that's huge yeah so you know that that's uh i I don't even know what uh, i I think mine's maybe a 28 in my computer uh, i'm not sure what my vertex 4 is but uh uh you know hopefully these will be able to withstand you know like a lot of uh rewrites so this uh, this 3D memory um, technology, it's kind of similar to the Intel Trigate, the uh, stacked transistors. Uh, sort of, except that you know, from what I know of, which I don't really know of, just is just speculation. Mm-hmm. That uh, Intel is you know still mostly does a 2D design mm-hmm. on their chips, whereas Samsung is literally stacking like one like plane of transistors upon another plane of transistors it's layered like a pancake okay you know like a whole system mm-hmm. so. yeah so yeah uh but when you go to buy one of these from new egg you can pay with bitcoin really in fact you can buy now from new egg with bitcoin you know uh so do you think when you pay with bitcoin to new egg that they, do you think they hold on to it in Bitcoin form, or do you think they cash out immediately? Uh, from what I hear, most uh, merchants cash out the Bitcoin like every day. Yeah, so, that's probably a good idea. So, uh, you know, given the volatility of the Bitcoin prices. Uh, but, I'm sorry, my Bitcoin wallet was just hacked. Oh no! Yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, all the Bitcoin news of late. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. So there is yet another project for web uh, encrypted web-based email. Proton Mail is currently being funded, but PayPal pro froze PayPal froze their money for about a day, wondering if the project was legal or not. Which I think this you know is something that you know. How should I say this? PayPal should not be doing this. It's not their job to enforce the law. Right. Uh, especially well, so be- especially because the company making this is in Switzerland and they're funding right. it through Indiegogo, which is Canadian. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it's a really weird thing because I find it very weird that PayPal even knew what the funding was for. I mean, usually when somebody uses PayPal, they're buying, uh, you know, some gunpowder from eBay or something. You know, it's who cares? How do they know what the transaction actually is? And I think it's really weird that they looked hard enough and with enough scrutiny to notice that maybe Proton Mail is doing something fishy with encryption. Like that's really strange to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, NSA is also doing something fishy too, so. Well, I mean, you know, the NSA just does that. <laughs> and they don't even need PayPal. Yeah, you know, they just have this Congress that, you know, funds them. Yeah. So, hey, Google I.O. happened. Hey, so, it did. Yes. Last week. Yeah, and you told us all about it. Yeah, you can listen to that show at the uh, nexus.tv slash ns31. So, there was a presentation there about what Google is doing about security. It goes over the obvious, like, you know, SSL, TLS encryption practices and, like, other encryption stuff that they're doing and, you know, add-ons to Chrome and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it also goes over things like malware. Uh, so, like, you know, uh, sites showing up on Google Search 
and like reinfection rates of you know sites that were cleared of malware but then got reinfected. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very interesting uh, video there, uh, so go ahead and watch that. I'll put that into my IOQ. I think I have about six videos in it right now, but I'm adding more as I find them. So, and uh, if we recall from last time that. Uh, they released a report showing, uh, like, three uh, email servers. I think it was Hotmail or Out- Outlook or whatever they're doing now, mm-hmm. uh, Craigslist, and Comcast. And uh, uh, supposedly because this report was published, you know, over three weeks, they all switched over to encryption. And it shows a graph, and I've never seen three hockey sticks in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, hockey sticks being a graph that goes flat and then goes pretty much straight up at some point. You know, that's your exponential growth. So, uh, and during this presentation, the Powerball fortune cookie was mentioned. So, uh, this uh, apparently happened back in 2005 that, uh, you know, the Powerball, which apparently you have up there. Yep, we have Powerball in Minnesota. I think we have Powerball here in Pennsylvania, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like many other states over here in America do. Uh, But uh, so Powerball, you know, did their lottery drawing. uh, And uh, they realized when they, you know, counted up who won that apparently a lot of people, like uh, 110 people, got five out of six numbers right. Which is statistically unheard of. Yeah, like you know, impossible, pretty much. Yeah. So, you know, they they were dead set on, you know, somebody's hacking into the system uh, or something. You know, something's very fishy about this. Mm-hmm. So they flew out some people to, you know, where these tickets were sold to, you know, wait for the people to come back to claim their, uh, claim their winnings. So uh, apparently uh, all of them got it from a fortune cookie. And uh, apparently it was made in, uh, I think it came from one factory in uh, Queens, like New York Mm -hmm. City. Yep. And they got, you know, the same five out of six numbers right. You know, that's amazing. Like the, and they, the they, fact, they, all, they all played the same numbers. Right. Now, the sheer fact that the factory printed those numbers on a huge number of cookies and didn't randomize them more per cookie. Yeah. The fact that they were actually shipped out, purchased, opened, and then used in the same short period of time is just incredible. Yeah. The, uh, it's definitely, you know, fishy, but apparently they uh, paid out all the money. Well, you know, these things do happen. Like, yeah. chance is chances are that it is stacked against you. But these things can happen. Yeah, so... It's just very rare, and it will never happen again. So, Well, hopefully. I mean, the, the um, Powerball police will ban all fortune cookies within 100 miles. <laughs> well, that might be a little tough to do. Oh, but the Powerball can do it. Oh, but there's Chinese restaurants everywhere. Oh, darn. <laughs> so... Uh, this seems to be one of the factoids that I would read on Now I Know. It's a newsletter I get pretty much every day, uh, every weekday. And, you know, every day it just, you know, there's just a really interesting factoid in my, uh, you know, inbox. And I read it while I eat my breakfast in the morning. They need a RSS feed. Uh, they might have that. I know that there's an archive here. So, eh, yeah. Well, I'll look into it then. So, uh, is, you know, going back to the encryption stuff, uh, is TLS fast yet? Mm, you'll have to tell me. Uh, spoiler alert, yes. Oh. So, 
that's you know TLS uh, apparently back in the day uh, was you know considered slow, and apparently uh, companies actually sold hardware to you know accelerate the uh, SSL handshake. Mm-hmm. But apparently that's pretty much gone now uh, with uh, techniques like uh, false start and uh, like session session resumption. So, you know, this, you know, reduces the uh, round trip, uh, you know, the number of round trips that you need to establish a uh, an SSL connection. So, you know, the very name false start sounds very suspicious. It does sound terrible. Uh, but, you know, uh, apparently it's, you know, g- o- OK to do it and it eliminates a round trip. So which is very important, uh, especially on mobile devices uh, and especially if you're not on the same continent as that server. You know, because on mobile and uh, across transatlantic or transpacific communication, those latencies are so terrible that it's not good to cross trip anytime. Or if you live in a country where all of your internet traffic is routed through the U.S. and Oh, I thought you were going to say through YouTube. Uh or, or YouTube, uh, and the server is, like, down the street from you. Yeah. Uh, because apparently that does happen quite a bit in South America. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, interesting stuff. So, how long have you waited for something to come out? Uh, let's see. So, I've been waiting for Final Fantasy fifteen since it was announced in 2006 E3. Uh, as another game, but that's something different. Um, so that's like, what, 10 years? Yeah, so something like that, eight-ish. Uh, uh, I'm using floating point. Oh, right, you again. <laughs> Rounded up to the nearest 10. Um, well, you know how floating point isn't accurate? Yes, absolutely. It, it can be up or down, I really don't care. Yeah. Uh, well, Xanadu was announced back in 1960, and it had its first release last month, over 50 years later. So, uh, I believe I had mentioned Ted Nelson on the previous episode. Uh, this is what he's been working on for this whole time. It's sort of like the web, but it's totally not really isn't. And the Xanadu concept predates it by a lot. And in fact, the web cited Xanadu as an inspiration. Uh, you know, Tim Berners-Lee back when he was, you know, at CERN in the 80s, you know, cited Xanadu as an inspiration. Uh, so, uh, things are doubly linked. So, like, you, uh, and they're not like, you know, a few couple words here links to a page. It's like actual quotes and excerpts, like verbatim. And, uh, authorship is not anonymous on Xanadu. Um, so, uh, like with the double links there, you can see what links to you. And, you know, as you mentioned last time that, uh, you know, it, it would be kind of difficult for that to happen, you know, like back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Can you imagine like how impossible it would be to do this fast enough, fluidly enough, you know, on a computer that was just being made for the first time ever? <laughs> like my Chrome is lagging out on this page. Yeah, it happens. Yeah, I mean, and, and not only just just a computer, but I don't even know if people would be really interested in seeing things like this. I mean, do you think an average person would want to see all these pages interlinked in this visual presentation? Uh, maybe if there were, like, academics or something. Yeah, but I don't think normal people are academic. They're far from academic. I'd agree with you. Yeah. So, I'm, but, you know, people have adapted to the web, 
and that as a concept is sort of difficult and even now well i guess that people some people don't really get it not at all and actually i think the web model is a little bit easier for people because when you go to a website it's just self-contained it's just there and then when you click link you leave the website you go to a new website there's not this perfect this explicit interlink so and uh you know Ted Nelson, you know, when, you know, word processors came on, you know, became the big thing, Mm -hmm. he was very disappointed that they emulated paper. So, you know, he wants to, you know, sort of fight things that still emulate paper like PDF and, you know, of course, word documents, of course. And, uh, you know, he's sort of depressed that, you know, all, you know, a lot of the media on computers are linear in form. Uh, like, for instance, you're listening to a podcast, which is quite linear in form. Yeah, go listen to that fringe. Tell me how linear that is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, and then he essentially said, you know, like, what if there would be like a branching movie or something? It's like, yeah, that's a video game. We have those. <laughs> well, OK, so that's fine. Uh, games are like that. And, and some people can play them and some people just don't understand them at all. But do you really think that normal people, again, would want to be in a medium constantly that wasn't linear. People don't think, normal people don't think non-linearly. Like, that's just not something people do. Well, I sort of think non-linear. Well, you're not exactly the normal one here. Well, I'm people. I'm a person. Yeah, you barely count. I'm a person, people. I'm not exactly a people person. Oh, see, there you go. (laughs) So, uh, uh, anyway, moving on to another brilliant person, uh, Aaron Mm -hmm. Schwartz. You remember him? Yep. So his suicide was one of the earliest big news topics on the show, like huge. Mm-hmm. A documentary of his life and his works was recently made and released. So uh, have you watched this yet? No, I did not get a chance to watch this yet. I recently learned about it, though. So uh, this you know, documentary you know, goes over you know, him growing up in Chicago, and then it sort of skips up, and up to about the late 90s. Uh, when he was talking with a bunch of people who were doing XML, and uh, they eventually, you know, made RSS, you know, the really simple syndication. Yep, uh, we use that here a lot. Very important. Yes, until Google Reader shut down. Yeah, yeah, don't remind me. But, uh, you know, uh, they, the people collaborating with him, uh, you know, were, you know, going to conferences and stuff, and he wouldn't show up. And they finally asked him, so, hey, you need to come to one of these. And he said, I'm not sure if my mom would let me, because apparently he didn't realize that he was, like, 14 or 15 at the time. Isn't that amazing? So, apparently, they ponied up the money to have him to fly him out to wherever. And uh, and then from uh, RSS, uh, he was involved with Creative Commons, Yep. Uh, And, uh, you know, like laying down the foundation rules with that. And Mm -hmm. uh, he, you know, collaborated a lot with Larry Lysig on that. Yep. uh, Who appears in this documentary along with a few other uh, big name uh, Internet people who you might have heard of before on this podcast, like Corey Doctorow and uh, Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, so then after Creative Commons, uh, I believe he established or founded Reddit. Uh, then, uh, at that time he, you know, was sort of into the liberation of information, like, extremely. Mm -hmm. Uh, so apparently there was this system called Pacer, uh, which was what the Justice Department and, like, all the courts in the U.S., 
uh, used to store their court documents and verdicts and like all the other big paper legal things. Uh, but to access a paper on there, you needed to pony up 10 cents, uh, which, you know, since this is, you know, public material, uh, Aaron thought that was a little ridiculous. A little bit, yes. And he found another guy who had a website where you could go by and submit the documents that you got on Pacer to this website so they would be free. Really free. So uh, after quite a bit of pressure, uh, Congress finally agreed in 18 libraries across the U.S., uh, that, you know, Pacer would be open and free to everyone. Mm-hmm. So he started a, he uh, got a script going that would download everything uh, or steal everything, uh, as the FBI would think, uh, steal everything from Pacer. And suddenly he put it onto that website. And I think that was pretty much the demise of Pacer or something. Hmm. So, uh, and then he did a few other things uh, at MIT. Uh, so he turned his attention mostly to uh, like academic uh, research papers, essentially. Yep. And uh, you know, he, you know, pretty much it was a back and forth between him, MIT, and JSTOR. And uh, you know, finally the Justice Department got involved, and they wanted to make an example of him. Uh, so and they, you know, charged him with like a bajillion things under yep. an old law that should be changed. Um, but then uh, SOPA sort of came along and, uh, you know, realized that, you know, this is a terrible thing for the Internet. And, uh, you know, remember when SOPA got defeated? Yep. Yes. I wrote, a, I wrote a paper and a presentation on that those last few weeks of its existence. So it was pretty miraculous that, you know, SOPA's passage went from almost certainty to impossibility yep. in a space of about three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Aaron, when he conceived of the campaign against it, against it uh, he really didn't think it would work. So that, you know, pretty much showed everyone, hey, this, you know, you know, everyone's powerful. This can happen. The fate of the Internet is in the hands of its users, uh, as it should be. So uh, but then by that time, the Justice Department decided to pile on even more charges onto his uh, JSTOR theft. And that's when he suicided. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like maybe a month or so later that JSTOR decided, OK, we'll make everything free. And really? Did they really do that? Apparently. So I had never heard about that outcome. That's really good if they, it's actually true. So uh, then like a month later or so, uh, like someone was working on a test for pancreatic cancer that would, you know, detect it earlier. And he said, you know, it was because, you know, some of this was because JSTOR opened up everything. Hmm, interesting. So, yeah, it's amazing. Um, so I've actually used JSTOR actually in a paper a few times. And I've always been reluctant to have to use stuff from their, you know, their database of articles because uh, you have to be authenticated through your university or school. And I always feel really weird about having to, you know, cite something behind a paywall. It's very strange. Yes. Um, So the fact is, is that no one really knows what Aaron was going to do with all those documents that he downloaded. Mm -hmm. Uh, The suspicion that everyone thinks is that he would have released them for free uh, because he posted a guerrilla open access manifesto uh, like back in 2008 or so. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much what got the FBI on his trail. Right. Uh, But apparently he downloaded and analyzed another uh, data set 
that established a connection between uh, people who fund the papers, who like inform experts, who you know inform Congress to make laws in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, and, but he never released the, those documents he downloaded. So, yeah, that's kind of a mystery. Well, he could have just not gotten around to it, I guess. But yeah. So, so, uh, so this this uh, this video then. So, do you know who makes this uh, this film? Uh, apparently, it was made by Film Buff. Which, uh, I was, see, which, I was kind of wondering because which I you know, think is a independent uh, filmmaker. So they're not backed by like the MPAA or anything, you know? For not as I can tell. Okay, good because that would be pretty bad. So uh, since it's Creative Commons licensed, you can steal it from the Internet Archive where he once volunteered. And that that seems like it's good because he wants things to be free and open and accessible. Yes. Yes. So go ahead and watch that. It's a great thing. I you know, learned quite a bit about the guy's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for instance, uh, have you heard of Quinn Norton? No, I have not. Uh, well, uh, I'm a regular reader of Maximum PC, mm-hmm. and occasionally, like, there will be an article from her on there, and apparently, uh, for a while there, uh, she was Aaron's uh, girlfriend. Oh. So, yeah. I'm like, Interesting. I'm like, yeah, I've read her stuff. That's sort of weird. Yeah, a little bit. So I'd like to deprecate uh, two things. Really? Yes, I would huh. like I would like to deprecate the recorder that I'm using right now to record this. Uh, hopefully, if it doesn't uh, blow up anything. I mean, don't worry about it. I'm recording it too. So, uh, yeah, apparently it has a problem where it uh, can't really handle large file sizes. Um, and, uh, like, when it goes through it, you know, after the call is over, it does some sort of normalization process, and it deletes the originals. What was it thinking? And, like, even if it fails, it still deletes it. And that is not an acceptable, uh, failure mode. And another thing is, is that, you know, if you have certain settings set, like, you know, you want to have the maximum sound quality from your sound card, that, you know, it might look at your sound card, which doesn't have any uh, bearing at all on this uh, Skype call. Right. To determine the sample rate to record the call, uh, which in yesterday's case was 192 kilohertz. Which is higher than normal, from what I hear. Well, higher than what could be uh, expected from a Skype call. Yeah, um, which is like one bit every couple minutes. Uh, well, I was thinking more along the lines of like CD quality, which is like 44,000 instead of 192,000. Yeah, right. And I'm not exactly sure what the bit resolution was on that, but uh, yeah. And uh, this software isn't really that customizable, but it's easy to use. Which is a plus. But... So uh, excuse me while I go write a sort of nasty bug report on this. I hope you do, and I would love to see... Well, I know it won't happen, but I'd love to see something happen from it. Well, you never know. Yeah, you never know with that kind of stuff. So, yeah. 
another thing I want to rant against is YouTube's SSL Cypher support. So, uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm a real big fan of... YouTube? H- well, HTTPS. Like yes, encrypted, I have noticed Encrypted that. transfers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you go to uh, YouTube with the HTTPS protocol, like, everything's secured. Like, yep. the video's going back and forth, everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm also, you know, aware of the Cypher suites being used underneath. So, you know, I went in, uh, and at some point I disabled the insecure ones, like RC4. Um, so, you know, RC4 is a, you know, is a fast cipher, but it's sort of old and not that secure as compared to others. Uh, at this point, you know, encryption is really cheap. So, you know, that's not really a worry, unless you're w- running like a Pentium 2 or something. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I went through and disabled all the RC4 ciphers, and a little while later I noticed that YouTube was broken. I could get to the YouTube page, I could get to, you know, all the pages on YouTube, but all the videos just, you know, had an error occurred. Learn more. Uh, but I couldn't really figure out what happened, so I, you know... You couldn't learn more, huh? Well, I eventually cleared all of my cookies, that didn't work. I reinstalled Flash, that didn't work. I even created a new Firefox profile. That didn't work either. Wow. Uh, and I finally figured out just like yesterday or so that it was the SSL ciphers uh, being disabled that caused the problem. Hmm. So uh, apparently uh, the it's the problem with the content servers behind uh, YouTube that the actual YouTube player connects to. Right. Uh, it only supports two ciphers. Uh, one isn't really that widely supported, and the other one is RC4. Right. So it breaks on the browser that I'm using, but not on any other browser that I don't really use and mess with. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, hopefully, since I sort of brought this uh, attention to the attention of Hacker News, stuff might happen pretty soon. I would uh, be impressed if it did. Let's talk about some th- some stuff that you've done. You know, I've actually done some stuff this summer, but not that much. It's uh, kind of sad, you know, like um, it- it's July already. Y- you've been a lot more productive than I have. Yeah, you know, you say that, but I- I've literally just been sitting here watching anime, eating pretzels, and playing Final Fantasy. I mean, I mean, when I say I'm not very productive, uh, that really means outside of my day job. Yeah, but see, you actually have a job, so I mean, I guess that's okay. You don't have to be out productive outside of it when you're making money. <laughs> yeah. That's different. A paycheck has that effect. Yeah. Uh, so I've actually uh, been doing some stuff. So recently, uh, you know, it's been getting hot here. Here it's been getting hot there. You know, it's summer. Uh, a little bit, yeah. You know, it's it's beginning to at least 85 and pretty humid. And so when that happens, you know, your electronics get kind of hot, too. And so um, last winter, Matt and I moved the modem and router from the basement location where I used to have it in by the studio to a more centralized location in the main floor of the house so that our Wi-Fi would be better in the park or in the backyard, you know, the places where we like to grill. Mm-hmm. So, in doing that, we put it into a relatively small closet, and, well, guess what happens in closets that are closed in the summer? Well, they get hot. Well, when you put some electronics inside of it, they get even hotter. Oh, yeah, baby. 
Yeah. So uh, <laughs> over the past week uh, or two weeks ago, I was noticing my Wi-Fi connection starting to be kind of flaky. Like I would just be unable to connect even though Wi-Fi had a perfect signal. Just really strange. And then I would try to ping my local server and I would get nothing back. Like You, the mean, connection you mean say big week to your server. Right, right. I was trying to say uh, big week to the server and I was expecting a huge week and I got nothing. <laughs> It was no week at all. So I, I, I went over to my closet and I looked at the modem. I looked at the router. Nothing seemed out of place. But then when I touched the router, it was really hot. Just it was terrible. Could you fry an egg? No, probably not that hot, but it was going to get close. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, you should probably do something about that. So I did do something about that. So first I went to Target and I got a like a eight inch fan, put it in the closet, but it was really big, really noisy, and it was about to fall off because the shelf's pretty small. So that was not the solution I was looking for. So the solution I found was a little bit more custom. So what I did is I uh, found some wood and I made a little booster shelf for the uh, router so that it would sit off of the shelf itself. And then I made another little booster shelf, much shorter, for a little case fan that I found. It's a uh, Cooler Master 120 millimeter fan. And so I modified it to run on, you know, regular, you know, outlet power. And I, uh, you know, did some uh, trickery with a transformer I found just sitting in a drawer. Hope nobody wanted that because it's gone. It took it. And so now it uh, can just plug into a regular wall socket and uh, cool the bottom where the, uh, you know, grills of the modem are. And uh, since I've done that, the Wi-Fi has been fine. No problems. Hmm, That's great. Yeah, so it, it, it turns out uh, electronics don't suck that much, except they totally do. Um, so are, is it noisy? You know, so I, I've actually experimented that with since you've asked uh, me about it. And uh, if I have the door shut, officially, you don't hear anything at all. If the door is open and you listen for the hum, you might be able to hear it. But being a case fan, it's no noisier than what you'd expect in a case on a computer. So, uh, have have you had any problems since then? Nope, it's it's been fine. Yeah, Wi-Fi has been actually uh, stable since. Wow, that's great. Yeah, you know, I was kind of expecting some weird things to happen with a big spinning thing right under the uh, router, like, but like a vibration or something. You know, some vibrations or maybe some weird interference, or thing. maybe the fan vibrating out from underneath. You know, so like. I was thinking about that, and so I could screw it into the wood that's beneath it, but that's a lot of work, and I don't care that much. Hmm. So, uh, what else have you been doing? So, last week, I uh, worked on the titler, and uh, you used the titler. So, do you want to explain what we use the titler for? So, uh, if you're looking at the show notes right now, uh, that's pretty much the output of the titler. Uh, But right now, what we're looking at, uh, at least what I'm looking at right now, is a Google Doc uh, containing, like, the links to the show notes and sort of, like, what we want to talk about or what we want to actually say on the show. So what uh, Ryan or I do is copy, bulk copy this and uh, put it into this tool called the Titler. And we click a button, and it goes out to all of these URLs and grabs the title tag or something. Yep. Uh, along with, like, the other header tags. And, uh, like, for all these links. So you have really nice, pretty, you know, descriptions, sort of, uh, for all the links on your page there. And yeah, then, so that's and exactly we, what happens. And then we bulk bag copy that output into, like, WordPress or whatever. Yep, just like that. 
And then, then we publish the, the, the episode, and then you get wonderful show notes. Well, so here's what happened. Uh, when I made the original titler, it had been just after Google I.O. 2013, and Google Now had just gotten popular, and I had an XSFAR, and I was really obsessed with this card metaphor, this card presentation, t- presentation style. It was great. But you know what problem with cards? If you have a lot of them, they take up a lot of room. And so I and made they're kind of hard to shuffle. They they are uh, mostly because they are not 3D enough. <laughs> yeah. So one of the problems with it is I you you, you would have all of the links that were going uh, links you know from the raw show notes that we use here, but then uh, my system would go out to, to the remote HTML, find the title tag, find the H1 tags and other tags, try to figure out which one you wanted, rate them and pick the one accordingly. And then you would click a button at the end and it would put it into a show note format. But there was so much space wasted on the page. You know, what could be just a one page thing turned to be three or four pages long because of all these cards being shown that served no purpose because the likelihood of you actually editing them by hand was just so low. So what I did instead, and this is the new system now, this is the titler version 4, is I used something called content editable. It's pretty tasty, isn't it? Yes, it's very edible. Yum, yes. yum. It, it, delicious. Except except my stomach lining is rubbing together because I haven't had dinner today. Well, you know, this is the food show. This is the food show. Right. So I guess, what, I guess I'm fasting in honor of the uh, Independence Day coming. You mean the 4th of July, right? Yeah, I really want to mess with you on that. Oh, man, but it makes so much more sense to call it the 4th of July. Anyways. Yeah, so what we have now is a content editable. And so for those of you who don't do the HTML regularly, content editable is sort of like a rich text editor in your browser. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it. So imagine Word without the curly quotes in your browser. So there you go. Uh, So what it allows me to do is it allows me to inject actual html to style the 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 visual presentation you see so you've probably even used it dear listener unwittingly so if you've ever used wordpress or blogger or any place where you can format things like with bold or i'm not sure i'm not sure if facebook uses it because i don't watch tv uh you know i don't think facebook uses it either because i don't think they have any rich text editors because they don't want people abusing the uh uh bold because you know they would just every every post you would see would just be in bold in caps Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's a pretty great system. And, and so what my new thing allows me to do is each link is independently creating a structure of HTML. It gets injected into the content editable form. And then at the same time, I also format it before anything else goes to the server and gets, you know, parsed and stuff. It's so a format it so that the output is ready to be copied right into the CMS. It doesn't even have to be transcribed with another button click. It just is ready. And it's it's such a better system. In fact, I've even made a really pretty, uh, uh, like a GIF video. I'll put a link into the show notes for you to see that. It's just, it's a really great system that just happened to come together just one one day. And I'm not sure if I like this, but you put hashtags all in our docs. Okay, so here's here's the deal. So uh, I um no other podcasting network that I know of or listen to frequently really does this effectively. But uh, categorizing w- which section you are in your show is really nice. You do this on your show a lot better than Athenexus does. You know, we don't have nice bumper intro music section things. <laughs> you do, but because I I apparently edit my show. 
You know, I don't know what you're talking about. I never edit my show. Well, hey, I do. Bad mixer. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I guess. Why are you making more work for me? Oh, how is it now? Is it good? Is it safe? I think so. Cross. Watch for cars. Oh, I think I've been hit. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so that 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 was a pretty cool thing. So, what else have I done? Well, there's more. So, uh, I was done with school at the end of May, and what do you do when you're done with school? Woohoo! Summer. Well, most people would say party, but what I decided to do was uh, sit in my basement and convert from shared hosting to a virtual private server. That sounds like actual work. Oh, but man, I had the best time. One-on-one sucks. Like, it was limiting. I was running out of memory everywhere. I couldn't use new versions of PHP. So I decided to bite the bullet, dump one-on-one forever. All the domains are off. All the shared hosting is gone. No more. I moved away from one-on-one, like, a long time ago because they sent me my password. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what I moved to is something called Linode. I've actually put my uh, referral link in here because after hearing about this, you're going to want one. I know it. And um, so I'm on the 248 megabyte, also known as the two gigabyte model. And I'm on server 703, just in case you wanted to know. I'm also in the Houston data center. Oh, so we know. So you just gave the FBI like address to where to go. I mean, I mean, so let's play a game. So like if you find out the secret IP address of the server, you can find the secret page I made. Like, it's a kind of a fun thing. I just uh, Easter egged in there. So what I did is I uh, converted, you know, all of the websites that, you know, I have. So like my blog, my fake homepage, the Nexus and other things, converted that all to run on my own Linode stack. So that's Ubuntu 14.04. That's Apache. That's uh, PHP 5.5.9, which is pretty fantastic, I might add. Um, you know, the newest version of MySQL, which is who knows what. Um, by MySQL, you actually mean MariaDB? Uh, no, I'm literally MySQL. Uh, I think that might actually be MariaDB. Well, I mean, it, I call MySQL. I don't know what the back end is. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ubuntu swapped out uh, MySQL official for uh, Maria, but I might have to check on that. If that's true, you'd expect the uh, logins to not have MySQL in it. Oh, well. Yeah, you never know. Not with Ubuntu, anyway. So, I mean, it was a great thing to do. Um, I mean, did anybody notice that I switched hosting providers? Probably not, except... I noticed a redesign. Yeah, you might have noticed a tiny redesign, but you'll notice a bigger redesign when I actually get around to it and stop sucking this summer. (laughs) So that was cool and all, but I also did some other things that was a, a, a major priority. So one of the things I made a long time ago was a way to get to my home server when I was away from home. So that seems pretty nice, right? Yeah, it's called dynamic DNS. So my house has dynamic DNS, so the the IP address changes. Just who knows when, it just changes for no reason. Uh, And uh, that's kind of a sucky problem because how do I know what IP address I'm at? I believe that's called dynamic IP address. Yeah, that's what I meant. And it sucks, just so you know. So what you do and want is a static IP, and you don't get that unless you pay a bunch of money or have a business account, and I have neither of those things. So what I what I did is I put together a PHP bash script combo kind of like thing. It's on GitHub. You can read the code. But basically what it does is the bash script runs on the server or any local computer in the network here, and it pings my real server, and it pings the PHP script in particular. If the PHP script... 
uh, notices that the IP address of what is being the origin of the ping has changed from what it has recorded, it will issue an API call to the uh, Linode API. The Linode API is so good, it has the ability to change a, a record of a subdomain. That's great. So what that means is that when Edge Bailey is trying to produce a show and then he's trying to put up the show, well, well, he'll be let, able to... Once upon a time, <laughs> once upon a time after recording uh, last time's episode, I was, you know, doing the title, I was trying to do the titles and, you know, I go to beep to access the titler. So I'm, you know, going there and suddenly everything's timing out. And I, you know, I message Ryan and say, hey, your server's down. I'm crying. Uh, can you do something? And then I looked up the email where he said to do it this way, where I've always done it this way and to not use the old way, which I've never done before. So I tried the old way and that worked. Well, that's a miracle that it works. So I'm pretty impressed. So, so here's what happened. So I stopped crying after like a minute or so. So, so th- this whole thing was so for that Andrew Bailey and I could get to my home server really easy. I can't tell you where it is because, well, then you would be DDoSing my server. DOSing. Whatever. <laughs> D whatever. Um, so, uh, the, the, the problem was in that particular case is that I had a miss or an unpushed branch of Git. So I was working on it at home and I wanted to make a, a test like uh, a test fixture thing so that I could test it at home without having the API actually cause the update on Linode. And well, I didn't push that branch up to the actual, you know, server, the Linode server. And and since that, it was a problem with null. So it, apparently if you have a JSON file and the key you're looking for doesn't mm-hmm. exist, it's not even not null. It's just something that it doesn't exist. It's a quantum variable. Yes, much like the quantum paper that we're that we're very uh, a big fan of. Yes. Yeah. So that that's been my summer so far in terms of actually producing things, which is kind of sad. You know, just, just three things. You know, not 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 good. So now with uh, you know you own your own piece of like server somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, are you going to do Ghost sometime? You know, huh, you know, I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> so I looked into Ghost recently, and um, they're recoding their entire backend right now. I don't think this is a good time to jump in. Hmm. So I don't know what backend model they were using before, but like four weeks ago, they decided to dump everything they had built so far and recode the entire thing in Ember. Ember. Yeah, Ember JS. It's some kind of like, um, as they call it, opinionated JavaScript front end modeling. Uh, that apparently runs on Node. Yeah, I'm sure it runs on everything. Yeah. I just I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know, and I don't think this is a good time to use Ghost. Now, I'll, the other reason I don't want to use Ghost is I really, really don't want to learn a new templating engine. Just don't care. What Markdown is awesome. No, 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 I don't mean templating like that. I mean like knowing all of the APIs to do all of the you know. Let's put a sidebar here. Let's put a post here. Let's put some pagination down there. Let's put a header over here. Ah, uh, you are so difficult sometimes. What? <laughs> Depagination? Yes, I paginate all the time. Paginate. So, uh, Ryan sent in some feedback, so uh, let me read those. 
in your in your new Ryan voice, right? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, Ryan says recipients fade over time. Uh, recipients receipts fade over time. So watch out for uh, faded receipts. Yeah. From Walmart specifically. Yeah. Uh, recipients. Uh, these right. recipients were laser printed invoices on letter sized paper. But they also had that, you know, other ribbon thermal thing yeah. stapled onto them. Mm-hmm. You got to watch out for those thermal receipts. Yes. Uh, Ryan says that Google CEOs were taking $1 in pay, I think. Yes, uh, that's exactly the people I was thinking about, among a few others. It uh, turns out that a lot of tech CEOs uh, and like a handful of others, and by handful I mean like two, uh, outside of the tech industry take $1 salaries. Yeah, it's, it seems really interesting that this this $1 salary thing is really uh, a tech sector kind of thing. I wonder if other CEOs take like $100 or something to make it seem like they don't do much but get something. Yeah. I don't know. So. Uh, he says that he uh, loves rumors about other companies. However, he tries to stay away from iPhone rumors that don't make much sense. Uh, well, I stay away from all rumors uh, for the most part. You know, that's that's kind of sad. I mean, I love the iPhone rumors, but usually they just don't mean anything. Yeah, and I realized like two years ago or so, like, why am I reading all this iPhone rumor and Apple rumor stuff? Like, I'm not going to buy any of this. Like, why am I wasting my time reading it? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, He says uh, when one server blows up, it's a tragedy. But when 100,000 servers uh, blow up because of a vulnerability, it's a statistic. Yeah, how sad. Yeah, isn't that sad? Uh, he says he, that he has the same problem with MP3 files, which is bloating that weird intermediate screen. But uh, he could force an octet stream, he guesses. Yeah, uh, well, and by intermediate screen, uh mean actually opening it up in the browser. So. Yeah, that, that, that weird, fake, stupid player thing. Hate yeah. that thing. Yes. Yeah. Because, like, the t- controls are just so basic. Yeah. And and it's the width of, like, a finger. And, like, no metadata at all. None. I mean, I know I put album art in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he says uh, he doesn't know anything about ARIA support and those accessibility guidelines. And uh, he really likes to support labels, too, because it makes sense. It does make so much sense. I mean, I'm a big fan of labels. I've read a lot of books that don't either include labels or don't really do anything with them. Uh, You know, I've always learned that if you're going to have a label, you should put the ID that matches with the element that it corresponds to. In the four attribute. And uh, yeah, the four attribute, right, exactly. And that if you have like a checkbox or um, what do you call those other things? Radio Radio buttons. um, You you put the radio or checkbox inside the label so that the field is bigger to click on. Uh, You put the text inside the label. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Not I'm not sure what would happen if you put the radio button itself inside the label. No, I've actually done that and it works fine. Uh, and the idea is that if you click on the text, the radio button gets triggered or the checkbox. Yeah, or the checkbox. That's the thing that's clicking. That's amazing. Like when I read that, I'm like, "Oh my word." <laughs> that that's that's It makes uh, it so re- much easier. That's a great reaction. Except on websites that totally fail. Yeah, which is a lot of them, turns out. Yeah, and like pretty much every internal web application at a business ever. Well, that's because they were coded for IE 10 years ago. I think IE actually supported labels back then. Yes, but did it support IDs and CSS? Maybe. Yeah, CSS support was really flaky back then. Right. Anyways... 
So Ryan says, encryption is hard for email because there's so much legacy support needed. Uh, he would love a non-Gmail solution, but nobody has comprehensive support. So uh, we just mentioned Proton Mail being funded. Uh, there's also MailPile, uh, which was also funded from Kickstarter. Uh, apparently it's an alpha testing, so yeah. I mean, my biggest problem here is that I need, you know, a browser interface. I need That a- doesn't suck. I, that too, that, that's coming after though. I need a browser interface and I need a mobile interface, but not just on Android, but also on iOS and maybe what other platforms emerge in the future. Wait, like you use iOS? I mean, I, I, I don't, but if I had to, I would want to have my email there. And by not having a client there, even though I don't personally use it right now, means that platform is dead to me, right? So that's pretty bad. Like Tegra. And, <laughs> that's not that's not even a platform but Tegra is dead to me <laughs> yes Tegra Tegra 3 bad evil horrible um, and my, my real future vision for email is that there's like an IMAP 2 which literally clones all of the great parts of Gmail but just, just doesn't suck hmm yeah uh, Ryan goes on to say that uh, he wonders how hard it would be to fork TrueCrypt because he's heard strange licensing issues appear Yes, I've heard of those licensing issues, but TrueCrypt just in general is would be probably hard because encryption itself is hard. It's, you know, it's like you think that you've done everything right, but then someone comes along and says, Big Week, you're leaking your private key right there, and I've stolen everything. Hi, how you doing, Big Week? Doing well? I have your key. <laughs> yep. Just like that. It's going to happen. Uh, Ryan says that he thought the spinning car iPhone video experiment was pretty great. Uh, he would like to try something like it with an HTC One M8 or Galaxy S5 and also a DSLR that's made for video. Well, yep, that might be uh, pretty interesting. And, you know, maybe get phone sensors or image sensors that aren't cheap. Well, so, I mean, everybody says that the iPhone's camera is just amazing and great and woohoo. And, you know, the M8's gimmick is that it has ultra pixels. Woo. And the Galaxy S5 is plastic, so who cares? And, you know, DSLRs are like $1,000, so they've got to be good, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ryan says that he wonders how long it would take to find widespread support for these new Unicode characters. He thinks it'd probably take forever. Um, I believe that support is mostly up to fonts. So, yeah, so it's going to take forever. Yeah, and uh, you know, not all fonts support the entire, yeah, whatever, like multilingual plane or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like, I'm not even sure of a font that actually does. Like, so. if it doesn't get included by default in a Windows installation, it's not going to happen. Pretty much. So it's not going to happen for Windows 9 or 10 or 11. But um, but then on the web, we have things called web fonts. Oh, great. So we're going to have to download 40,000 fo- uh, characters or uh, uh, symbols or whatever to get this going. Great. Just wonderful. So, but then that would take a long time to download on your mobile phone out in the middle of nowhere. You know, because of latency, but at least TLS is fast. Yes, uh, so, you know, the website's slow, and no one will visit it, and wh- whoever does it will die a horrible, fiery death. But you can cross-reference that with Xanadu. Exactly. Right. Okay. So we did a good job there. <laughs> uh, Ryan says, solid states for the win. Uh, he says that he might buy one soon because his four hundred or 240 gig is getting full, and 480 prices are dropping. 
So right now on uh, my 512 gig SSD, it's like literally half full. Like that. Wow, look at that old pie chart. Woo! So, um, yeah, it looks like there's going to be another, excuse me, SSD price war this summer. That sounds good. Uh, so feel free to not buy now. Okay, then. So, uh, let's see, I'm, I believe the average SSD price is about 50 cents or less per gig. Yeah, it's doing pretty well now. So, I mean, it might drive down to like 20 cents per gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and then the SSD Price War 1 was in summer 2012 when I got my uh, SSD. Uh, and I believe that took prices from about a dollar down to about 80 cents or so. That's a big deal, you know. So, yeah, and because I have a day job, I'm like, hey, I want to get this and not want to stress out about what I install on stuff. You know, I, I got this 240 gig and my lifestyle is fileless, so I'm pretty good with it, too. So, oh, yeah, I, I remember you hating files. I still hate files. Like, so on my desktop right now, I have like four folders. One is called port and I have no idea what's in it. I have a folder from the Nexus 4 when I had that. And I have another folder called uh, Quick. And it just has a bunch of junk in it. Like, I don't have files on this computer. I don't mm. like files. Files are bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, let's not go into that discussion again. Yeah, so uh, Ryan says, look, a Memzister, uh, the sequel of Transistor. Mm. You know, because he was playing that game a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, if HP could actually pull off that technology, it could be the rebirth into a Intel-level business. That'd be great. Like, Wouldn't fantastic. Great? Yes, and he also says that photonics are hard. Yeah. Yeah, the the idea of transferring, you know, light to electrons in the very efficient manner in like sub like I would just say sub microscopic. Places. Yeah, it, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't I don't even want to imagine. I just can't. Uh, he laughs at uh, having a different voice for each of us uh, because uh, that that's pretty amazing. And he says it'll never be the same now because Andrew will always be aware of it. And he gives a plus one to Stephen for noticing. Yeah, I, I'm pulling off a miraculous uh, Ryan voice right now. It, aren't I? Yes. <gasps> yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, he also liked the classical music in this episode. And by this episode, he means the last one. Uh, CS 63. 63. And I so. think I sent in some show notes the other week that said 64. And I don't know why. <laughs> um, no, I did because I wanted you to be on. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so well, thank you for, you know, uh, appreciating that music. Uh, yeah, it was really good. You know, it was something different than your normal music. Yeah, it's uh, some of the music I stole from Muse Open. Uh, I actually have a membership there courtesy of that Kickstarter, and I didn't use a script to download them all, so it's okay. Well, there you go, then. So, um, you know, they, they were sort of, you know, I actually read the terms of service, and they're like, don't automate these downloads. Because so, Box will hate us. Yes, because apparently all their files come from Box. Which is really strange. Uh, so, like, what I did is, like, on one of the nights where I, you know, went to bed after getting home from work and then got up around midnight, I'm like, hey, I have not nothing really better to do, and, like, the tubes seem pretty clear right now. So I stayed up for, like, two hours just doing nothing but downloading everything. That so, sounds good. Yeah. And so how, how much have you downloaded so far? Uh, I believe I've downloaded it all. Um, okay. I believe I have about 68 gigabytes of music from there. 
You know, that's which, a lot of gigabytes. Which, you know, for the record, is bigger than, like, my other music collection, like, my real music collection that I've sorted through and put in playlists and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to be having fun with that. I would say so. So, uh, Ian also chimes in and says, I wonder if those voices are based on our voices since he hears them weekly. I wonder what it would be like if someone not on the network sent in feedback. Uh, it would sound like that. Like a, like a faint buzzing sound. Um, pretty much that's exactly how it would sound. <laughs> so, uh, if you would like to submit some of that feedback, uh, go ahead and do that on the nexus.tv. Especially if you're looking at the show notes right now, you'll see a link under our faces over there. And don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, and I downloaded all my stuff from Google, like, earlier this week, and put them all on external hard drives, and instead of not re-uploading them to Google... Oh, yeah. See, you're smarter at this than I am. How, how is your, um, uh, what is that, external drive swap going? Uh, it's going pretty well. I'll be doing that uh, tomorrow, actually. Good. So, yeah, I'll be dropping one off uh, over at my parents' house. Hi, Mom. Uh, where I will be installing a, I think it's a Crucial MX100 for Mom. Very nice. Which I believe that they already have, mm -hmm. along with a new cable modem. Since apparently Time Warner is charging people a modem rental fee. Yeah, Time Warner's evil. Yeah, Comcast is too. Don't, Don't let Comcast buy them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be because we care about Time Warner and Comcast. No, we hate both equally, so don't make them worse. <laughs> I think that's what you meant. Something like that, whatever. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I'll be going over there and uh, you know having some hamburgers, brownies, and like all sorts of other goody things. Well, that sounds good. And uh, let's see, I'll probably be installing Linux for mom again. Oh, you're going to or... do one of those Linuxes, huh? Yeah. I mean, she's been running it for like three or four years now. Oh, she'll probably be fine then. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I do that mostly because of, well, the internet. Oh, and Windows just sucking. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I get it. And, uh, you know, things have worked remarkably well. So, uh, nice to see a good thing going like that. Mm -hmm. uh, something else along those lines. Oh, yeah. And I can also brag that my mom uses Linux. Which is pretty impressive because not many people do. Mm -hmm. So, how about you? Uh, you know, later today, I think I'll be having uh, some pizza with the uh, famous uh, pizza eater, Matt. And uh, later this week, I will be doing my own show at the Nexus and... Uh, you will maybe. Be, uh, <laughs> maybe. What are you trying to say? Oh. Yes, of course. Well, uh, maybe... sometimes it gets delayed to Tuesday. Yeah, you know, it happens because there's this guy. He has a day job, which uh, carries over to his nightly hours, too. <laughs> um, and we'll be talking more about Android L and the new material design interface, among other things. And um, but not yeah, that Android, like that. but not that Android phone from Microsoft, apparently. No, no, that's that's fake. It doesn't even run Google Play. It doesn't even have Gmail. That's not a phone. That's not anything. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. So, have a good one. Yep, have a good one. <laughs>